All right. Well, hey, welcome everybody to our January 2022 Google User Group Meeting for GEG Ohio. So happy to have you guys here with us today. Uh, this is a monthly meeting where we take a look at everything new in Google from the last month. We share Google tips and tricks and answer questions related to using Google tools in schools. Uh, hi, my name is Eric Kurtz and I'm a tech integration specialist at the Stark County Educational Service Center up here in North Canton, Ohio. Uh, we're an information tech center <clears throat> that serves schools in Northeast Ohio. Uh, however, this meeting is open to anyone in Ohio or outside of Ohio, as long as you have an interest in Google tools and education, you're in the right place. Uh, I am joined by Stephanie as always. Uh, Stephanie, go ahead and introduce yourself as well. Hello everyone, welcome to the GEG Ohio meeting. My name is Stephanie Howe and I am an instructional tech coach in Pickerington Local School District. Um, I get to help teachers and students that are in grades K through six and we have a lot of fun um, using technology. So say hello in the chat and let us know who's also joining us today. Fantastic. Now, sometimes we're joined uh, by other folks, uh, John or Sarah, they, they do have some obligations today, so they'll, they'll be joining us in spirit, but not actually here. Uh, but we look forward to them being able to be back with us in uh, future meetings. Um, everything that we're going to be taking a look at today can be found in a uh, shared agenda document, which you can get to at the GEG Ohio website. Um, if you're watching this later, perhaps the recording of this, um, and you want to be able to pull up that document, um, I will drop the link for it directly into the YouTube chat. So um, it should be showing up in the YouTube chat there as well, but you can always get to this by going to bit.ly slash GEG Ohio. Um, that'll take you to this website here. Uh, this is our GEG Ohio website, and there's lots of good stuff on here, but there's one particular thing I want to draw attention to, and that's our monthly meetings. That's where you can find the link to the agenda document. So if you go to the monthly meetings on the site and then scroll down just a little bit, you'll see a table that lists all of the meetings. And here's the one for today, January 20th. You'll see a link to the agenda and a link to the live video, which will become the recorded video afterwards. I would definitely encourage you to open up that agenda document because that's really where all the information's at. Everything that Stephanie and I have been collecting over the last month or so uh, is found in this document. It is an editable document, so you are encouraged to add things to it as well. If you've got a tip or a trick or something you would like to put in the document, questions to ask, resources to share, please feel free to do so. We, uh, we appreciate uh, your contributions to this as well. So let's do a real quick look at what we're going to find in the document. Uh, we've done our welcomes and introductions to start off with. Um, we're going to talk real briefly about some important links, some updates, some upcoming events, and then we'll spend a big chunk of our time going over what's new in Google. Now, we did not have a December meeting, so this one's going to be covering a little bit more than just a month. We're going to get some November and December and a little bit of January uh, in there. Um, and then there's a show and tell section where we're going to share some neat tips and tricks that we've come across. And there is a section in there um, called community show and tell. So if you have something you would like to share, a tip or a trick or a resource or a new blog post or an extension, anything you'd like to share, you can throw that in there. And at the very bottom of our agenda is the Q&A section. Please feel free to add some questions here. 
And um, also feel free to answer questions. If you see somebody's posted something that you've got some feedback for, please go ahead and put your answer in there as well. And as a whole group, hopefully we can help address the questions that people have. All right, with all that said, let's go ahead and get going. And my goodness, the YouTube chat is exploding. That's fantastic to see so many people, uh, not just from Ohio, but internationally joining us here today. It is such a pleasure for you guys to be with us here today. We appreciate it so much. So a couple of quick things. We've done our introductions. Uh, under important links, just as always, we're going to encourage you to sign in if you would be so kind to do so. Uh, highlighted in green under the important links, you'll see a Google user group sign-in form. Uh, this is a very simple Google form, nothing fancy about it. Just gives you a chance to say, hey, you were here, um, fill in a little bit of information about yourself. I use this to send you a certificate of attendance. Um, so you'll get like a two-hour certificate of attendance, a PDF emailed out to you. Um, and then I also use this information to uh, let Google know how many people attended our meetings. I don't share your contact information with them. I only collect that so I can send you the certificate. But I do send the numbers of how many people was this your first GEG or not. Um, and that allows us to share that data with Google. And they appreciate that. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Um, next up, under the group updates, we always do want to remind you that even though we meet once a month this way, we stay connected all throughout the month in a bunch of other ways. One is our Google Educator Group, GEG Ohio Google Group, uh, that uh, you can join. I just checked earlier today and we had 1,189 members in there. That's a fantastic way to be able to stay connected with folks. You can send an email to that group to ask a question, share a resource, connect with others, and people help each other a lot in that. And we do have a Facebook group as well, if you would prefer to uh, do that and or the other. So please do stay connected uh, as we uh, um, have questions or things to share in between our different meetings. And that then brings us up to upcoming events. Um, there's a couple here that I'll mention. And Stephanie, if you want to chat about some of the other ones here, if you have some insight on them, please feel free to. I did add two things to this list. So I'm going to talk about two of these in particular. Um, and then I'll turn it over to Stephanie if there's something you'd like to share about some of the other ones. Uh, the first one I added in, uh, I just got an email, I think, yesterday about this one. And so um, this is happening tomorrow. And then the next Friday after that, it's remote edX, uh, virtual workshops. And this is being done by some of the local educational service centers in my area, not from my ESC, but close by to my area. Um, and so there's a flyer, flyer here you can take a look at that will give you uh, a quick overview just of what this is about. It's going to be tomorrow, uh, the, the 21st, and then on the 28th as well. And it's completely an online um, event. There is then a detailed document here that actually goes into the much more details about the individual sessions that are being offered. These are all being presented through Zoom, so they're going to be recorded as well, from what I understand. Looks like a lot of great uh, sessions being offered by some fantastic educators uh, here in Ohio. And so um, if you are looking to pick up some additional PD, um, I think the Remote edX Virtual Workshop would be a wonderful one to take a look at, very timely for us. 
The other thing I added in under the upcoming events was um, a little blurb about the Spark Conference. So where I work at the Stark County Educational Service Center, uh, we also are Spark, the Stark Portage Area Computer Consortium, uh, and we run the Spark Conference each year. Now this last year it was virtual, which makes sense. Uh, we usually do it in August each year. It's been in person in the past, but understandably we did it as a virtual conference this last year. We're curious how we should run it this year. Now, nobody can predict August of 2022. If you can, please let me know. But my guess is none of us can really predict that far out too well. But I'd love to get people's feedback on what would be valuable for you. And so in our preparation for that, I put together a real short Google form here. If this is something that you think you might attend the Spark Conference, now, if this doesn't apply to you, please just feel free to ignore it. But I know a lot of folks in Ohio have participated in our conference in the past. And if you do click this link for this Google form, you'll see it's just a real quick Google form that is asking how important is it for you to have a live in-person conference? Or would you prefer, you know, a live virtual conference? Or how about an asynchronous virtual conference? Um, you know, have you attended before? How likely would you be this year? If you had to pick, would you be in person or virtual? And so just trying to get a little bit of feel from people about what's important to them. And that's going to help us shape what I hope to be a very valuable conference once again for everybody. Uh, Stephanie, anything you wanted to add about other upcoming events? Oops, I think we lost you there, Steph. Yeah, we have. Or you may have frozen up. Oh, oh there can you, you come. Okay. Yep. There. Um, we have OETC, which is coming up in February. That is our state conference for um, technology. So it's uh, all online virtual this year due to the COVID and rising numbers. Um, but there is a whole sessions. I know everyone's probably sick of virtual, but. Um, if you're not in Ohio, feel free to also join us. So that gives you a chance to join in as well. And then Neotech. So um, that one I saw an email for is coming up. It looks like it's live and um, also virtual. So kind of a hybrid of the two. So if you're interested in that one, check that one out as well. And then ITIP is um, coming too. It sounds like it's going to be virtual or live at this moment. Um, so there is resources on signing up. And then if you are wanting to present, there are proposals and that is due February 10th. Fantastic. It's interesting to see the mixture of how things are being delivered. Yeah. You know, we've got some that are completely virtual, others that are doing a hybrid approach. So we're all trying to figure this out together. And I just want to Thank everyone. Thank you, ITIP. Thank you, OETC. Thank you, Neotech. Thanks to everybody out there who's trying to find ways to make this work and, val and be valuable for educators. Um, I would definitely encourage people, though, to consider um, presenting at these. Um, I think call for proposals is still open for ITIP and for Neotech, both, yes. Um, and it's a great way to start sharing. Don't, don't think, you know, well, you know, nobody wants to hear what I have to say, or, you know, I, I, don't, I don't do, I haven't done presentations before. This is a really great way to get started. Um, you know, a lot of these are, you know, smaller conferences, just like the Spark Conference. I've always encouraged people. This is a great place to get started. It's a, it's a nice, smaller, more intimate event. And the thing is, people want to hear from folks, you know, in the trenches, you know, on the front lines, you know, what are you doing in your classroom? And so uh, we, we all started 
Uh, I know Stephanie and I have been doing presentations for many years, but we had a first presentation. We began, you know, somewhere, sometime, and that got us started. And would I just want to encourage people to, to consider doing that. Uh, I think sometimes these hybrid events just might make it even a little bit easier. So you don't feel maybe like, oh, I'm standing up in front of a whole room of people. It might give you a chance to start easing into that. Awesome. Good stuff. Speaking of conferences, I know this doesn't apply to, to Ohio, but um, I will be at FETC next week, the Florida conference. So if anybody who's listening is going to be at that one, hey, um, I'd love to see you there. Um, I've got quite a few sessions that I'm doing throughout the week. But if you're going to be down in Orlando, I know, sad, isn't it, Stephanie? I got to leave snowy, cold Ohio. I have to go to Orlando for a week. That sounds awful. So I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so uh, no, but I'll be, I, I'm going to be busy. I think I, I think I, my last count, I think I have 14 sessions I'm presenting. So I'm not just going to be sitting around. <laughs> I'm going to be pretty busy. But if anybody is down there at FETC, I'd love to see you. I'd love to chat and get a chance to hang out. So that'd be awesome. Yeah. And someone in the chat just said the Neotech call for presentation or presentations is open until January 28th. Okay. So not a lot more time, but definitely get that in. I have already submitted my sessions for Neotech and ITIP. So yeah, and just a couple people are excited for TCEA. That's the Texas <sighs> conference. Yeah. Um, FETC, we have someone they wish they were going. Um, <laughs> same here. I wish I was going as well. And then Deborah just said that she got a lot out of the Spark conference from last year. So thank you. I'm so for glad to that. hear that. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, TCEA is a great one. I've only been there once, but uh, they're <laughs> a fantastic group of people down there in Texas. They do a wonderful conference. Uh, oh, and then yes, I will be at, at NC Ties. Um, uh, yeah, the, uh, that's uh, the North Carolina uh, technology one. Um, that's coming up in March. Yeah, I'll be at that one as well. Awesome. Well, good stuff, guys. Um, well, we're going to go ahead and move into one of the main portions of our meeting, which is we try to keep an eye on what's new in Google, just so that you know, there's so much stuff that comes out. We want you to not get caught off guard. We want you to be able to know here are the important changes or the new features. So if you're supporting your school, you're going to be able to help support them better because you'll know, oh, this new feature is coming out. Let's take advantage of this or this is changing. Let's not get caught off guard by it. So throughout the month, Stephanie and I try to keep our eyes out and read all the blogs and listen to podcasts and monitor Twitter and Facebook. And when we see things, we drop them into this document throughout the month. And like I said, we did not have a December meeting. So technically, we have to go all the way back to our November meeting to kind of pick up where we left off. Now, we're not going to go through every one of these. You'll see some of them are bolded. Those are the ones that we've looked through and decided for today, that's the ones we're going to talk about does not mean the others are not important. It's hard to pick. There's so many cool things. These are just the ones that we thought were most valuable for us to talk about. Having said that, if you guys have any questions, comments about any of these things, please either drop it in the chat, the YouTube chat, or just drop it right into the document itself. You can simply, you know, highlight the text and use the little comment button over there. And you can, you know, put a comment right into the document here or type in the document if you would like us to chat about some of these other things. Awesome. Well, I'll go ahead and kick this off and then we'll just ping pong back and forth uh, between Stephanie and myself as we talk about these new updates. Um, so the first one that uh, I thought was of interest, 
um, was that uh, Chrome uh, is having a policy rolling out. I believe they said it's like version 98 of Chrome, so it's not necessarily out yet, that will allow administrators to block viewing page source code. Now, this may sound a little techy, a little nerdy source code and all that stuff, but let's explain why this, what does this have to do with schools? So here's the idea behind it. When you go to a web page in Chrome, you can right click on it. And one of the things you can choose is you can choose view page source. When you do that, it opens up a new tab and it shows you the HTML code behind the page. What is actually making the page do its thing. Now, this it's a, it's, it's a mixed bag. On one hand, it's a positive thing because that's honestly how I learned HTML many, many, many years ago. You right-clicked, you looked at the source and you said, how did they do that? And you, you found out how somebody did something cool and you go, ah, now I know how to do it. And it was actually a really neat way to learn HTML back in the day. Uh, the negatives about this though, the article mentions two things. One is that sometimes folks have used this as a way to get around blocked web pages. If you've got a filter that's blocking a web page and you're not able to see it by going in and viewing the source, it would yeah, I know, <laughs> kind of hard to read, doesn't look quite the same, but you could still get to some content by viewing the source. The other had to do with in Google Forms, if you were using a Google Form for a quiz, there was an issue, at least for a while, and they may have fixed it in Forms, but it was definitely an issue that did exist and may still, where you could view the page source and actually see the answers to the quiz questions buried in the source of the page. I know it also is true if you're trying to do like breakout EDUs, that definitely is an issue where you've got um, the, uh, the restrictions on the question saying you must type in a certain code to be able to unlock the lock. Uh, well, what you're doing in that case is you're, you're using some, some, some data validation in the, in the Google form. Yeah, that's in the page code. That is in the HTML. And so, yeah, you can just right click, view the page source and find all the clues, all, all the answers to all the clues to the breakout EDU. And yeah, I mean, it's no fun to do that because then you're not actually doing the activity, but it can be done. So short answer to all of this is there's going to be an option that administrators will be able to go in and say, hey, you know what, for this organizational unit, for this, you know, for these students, whatever group they want to apply this to, uh, we're going to turn this off. And if you're on a Chromebook and you're logged in with your school account and if your administrator says you can't do it anymore, you won't be able to right click and view the page source. So just wanted to have that be on people's radar just because it can affect a lot of things. If you've been avoiding breakout EDUs because of that, because you're like, oh, they can just cheat and look at it. Well, this is going to address that. This is this, this is this is an option to fix that. Or if, if you've been using view page source to help teach your computer science class, you might be upset about this. <laughs> you may be saying, no, we need to be able to do this. Well, talk to your IT admins because these are some things that are going to have to be decided when this feature rolls out. All right. So a little bit about that there. All right. Anything then on that, Stephanie? Yeah, I mean, I've used, Clay's kind of showed me a little bit of that. Clay codes, who codes a lot yeah. of extensions, and I yeah. had no idea that was there until he kind of showed me some hacks with it. I was like, oh, I didn't know what that meant. But um, I, definitely with Google Forms, that has been a huge issue. <laughs> 
All right. Well, what do we have up next? So next up, um, meeting virtually. So just informing people how you are going to meet with them. Um, I know before kind of after COVID started, people were like, is this in person? Is it on Google Meet? Um, So kind of taking away some of that confusion away. And so what they did is they they have launched, um, it should already be rolled out, when you RSVP, you should on your calendar invite, you have like a yes button on that drop down. You can say if you're going to be in the meeting room or joining virtually. So that can just clear up some miscommunication. Um, if you want to start using that protocol and with your um, coworkers or just kind of explaining, hey, we're going to be in this meeting room. But if you want to meet virtual, you can as well just kind of RSVP that way. Or you could do like a majority. Um, how many people say they want to meet virtually? How many want to meet in the meeting room? And then kind of make your decision that way. So again, it's just kind of helping that person that is organizing the meeting know okay, what to expect and who's coming in person, who's going to be virtual. And I think also it can help with other attendees. They can kind of see who is attending, who's not attending or attending virtually. Absolutely. That's so nice. It's, it's just the new, the new way, isn't it? Uh, it's, mm-hmm. And I'm glad to see that Google has built that right into the products now that, uh, yeah, as I know, not too long ago, there was also that option in calendar to say whether you were working at home or working in the office. Yeah, we're starting to see this crop up in a lot of the Google tools. Good stuff. Awesome. All right, next up. So this next article is about Chrome OS updates. So if you're not familiar with the behind the scenes on how all this works, uh, Google tries to release a new version of the Chrome operating system every six weeks. That is, that's been the procedure. So every six weeks, boom, we move up to a new uh, version. I think we're on 97 at the moment. When I checked earlier today, I think it's Chrome um, OS version 97. So that's been the case every six weeks. Well, Google said, hey, we want to be a little bit more secure. And so we're going to start bumping that up and we're going to make it every four weeks instead. So that's the first piece of this. The first issue is just be aware they are switching to a four-week stable release cycle. So we're going to be getting Chrome new versions much quicker. Now, the concern that comes from this is a concern that schools have a lot of times if it involves like online testing. Now, uh, I'm a little bit removed now that I'm at the county office rather than at the district level. So I don't I don't come face to face with this every day, but I'm sure a lot of you guys are when we're doing state testing, when students are doing state testing. It's it's important to be aware what version of the Chrome operating system you're using because certain versions are approved to work with the online testing. And sometimes what's happened is if you've allowed your Chromebooks to update to the newest version, well, the newest version may not have been thoroughly tested with the online testing system and it may not work. And that's a nightmare. If you've got Chromebooks that have updated beyond (laughs) to a newer version, what the testing service will support. They can't be used for the test. And then to roll them back is such a pain. There's so much work involved in that. And so most of the time, what we do is we limit them. We go in and say, okay, I do not want, you know, the Chromebooks to um, update past a certain, you know, version. 
Well, and you can do that in the admin console. So here's my admin console. So if I'm in uh, devices, Chrome settings device. So for those of you that don't do the admin console, no worries about it. Just be aware this is in the admin console, devices, Chrome settings device. You can restrict and say, hey, don't go beyond 94 or don't go beyond 95 or don't, you, know, you can just say, that's it. We, we don't want you to go past a certain amount. Well, to help schools be able to have a little bit more um, security with this, because here's the thing, if you say don't go past 94, because I know that's what works for state testing, what if there's a really important security update that came out? And you're like, well, yikes, I really would prefer to be able to update the Chromebook so we've got the latest greatest, ah, but we need it to work with the testing. Well, in addition to saying they're now moving to a four-week release, there's a second thing they're rolling out. And it's a new channel, a new OS release channel called long-term support, LTS. So when I go to my admin console, notice I'm on the stable channel. That is what we've got our Chromebooks on. Stable channel is the normal one. That means, you know, every six weeks, now every four weeks, there's going to be a new version available. There's also beta channel. If you want to let some Chromebooks be one version ahead to kind of test things out. And there's dev channel, which is like two versions ahead and your mileage may vary. Things may, you know, explode at, at, at any point. Well, now they've added long-term support uh, channel. Now, what that does, it's kind of interesting. It's going to only update every six months. They may say, well, that's worse, Eric, every six months. But hold on. It's doing feature updates every six months, but any security updates, it does those immediately. And so the security updates come through the feature updates don't. And so that's going to be an option from some schools who want to say, okay, I need to put it on long-term support so that, you know, that's going to, it's, it's, I'm only going to get a new update every six months. We're going to be able to be on a much more stable, predictable OS, but we also know the security updates are coming through. So this is totally, again, up to your admin folks. They need to go in and make these changes and you can apply it to different, you know, different Chromebook groups, depending upon how you need to do it. But wanted you to be aware of that because that can definitely affect things like state testing. So wanted to get that on the radar. Awesome. All right, good stuff. Stephanie, do you guys have to deal with that? Has that been an issue with state testing? Have you ever had issues with yep. the OS version? What's, <laughs> yeah, what's happened always, with you guys? We always have to check it. And then um, usually they pause the update so no one can yep. add it. Um, yep. But yeah, it's usually always an issue. Yeah, yeah. So it's just something to think about. <laughs> um, awesome. All right, Next up is the Google Classroom mobile app. So Google Classroom has the mobile app, which we already kind of knew about, but they did make some updates with it. So with this Google Classroom mobile app, now you can download assignment attachments to your phone. Um, so you're able to kind of view them and edit later when you're offline, which is really nice because again, students might not have the best internet when they leave school. And so if that is the case, they can, again, have that on their cell phone or on their device, and then they can edit with being offline. Um, they also added a scan crop kind of tool where students are able to upload multiple different pictures to this file. 
So that way it's a lot easier to submit that non-digital work. So math teachers probably really love this. They're able to, again, write out their work, show all their steps. And then with their mobile version, they can take a screenshot. It's actually like a scan button and it will scan the document for the students. Um, another feature is easier grading for teachers. So teachers are able to grade a lot quicker using their mobile app. They can kind of use their finger and just kind of go to the next student. They can tap and add comments um, to the student's work as well. So just trying to make it easier on teachers and students um, by using that mobile device. How nice. That is great. Yeah, and I, I've been singing the praise of the mobile app for years. I did go ahead and throw in another bullet point here to a link to uh, the document where I've got my uh, Google Classroom mobile app uh, document. Um, and this is um, a session that I, I've done many, many, many times about using the mobile version of Classroom in addition to the web version. There's a training video here from a while back when I had uh, talked about this in the past. There's a slideshow here. Of course, a lot, new, a lot of new features have come out <laughs> since, since that training video, but basically, you know, it's talking about how, yeah, you can do digital handwriting. You can annotate right on top of students' documents and students can write right on top of their documents and PDFs. It's a wonderful annotation tool and you can take pictures and record videos. It's an awesome way to be able to um, include multimedia in your assignments and allow students to very easily submit multimedia and on and on down the line. There's a lot of really great things that the mobile app provides that the um, regular web version doesn't. And so if you uh, have only used the web version, I don't think it's one versus the other. I think it's both. I think it's be, you know, have classroom set up on your, you know, your Mac, your PC, your Chromebook, but also have the mobile app on your phone. And don't forget, most Chromebooks can run Android apps. So you can run the mobile version and the web version at the same time on your Chromebook and get the best of both worlds. So. Yeah, and there was a question in the chat asking if this mobile update is just for Android, um, which I think at the bottom of the blog post, it did say it was focused on, let me see. I don't, you know, I did not pay attention to that. Let's see, it does say with these new classroom Android app Android features. Apps. So yeah. it may have be, now, usually they're pretty good. Yep. Yep. They're saying usually pretty good about getting it out to iOS as well. So my guess is it's just starting here. Cause like the other ones I mentioned, the other benefits, the other nice features of the mobile, I know those other ones do work on iOS. So yeah, it looks like it's probably just that this is the beginning of, Hey, we've got it on Android. Look for it hopefully soon on iOS as well. Yeah. Good question. Thank you for asking that. So hopefully it will come soon. Awesome. And then what's up next? Well, hey, Google Sites will never die. Classic Google Sites, you think it's gone. It's kind of like uh, this is the... Uh, the next variant uh, of, of sites. <laughs> sites is its own pandemic here. It will it will not go away. Um, so if you've used classic Google Sites and you thought they were going to be shut down in December, Google has once again given them a stay of execution and now it is uh, till June. So as of June 1st, you will no longer be able to edit any classic sites. And as of July 1st, 
they will no longer be viewable unless they've been converted until they push back again. We don't trust them anymore now. I think <laughs> they just keep so pushing. The question is though, have you updated the Spark website? I did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Here it is. There you go. <laughs> oh, it looks good. Yeah. How about that? So yes, I did. Um, I thought I thought it was gonna go away in December. So I'm like, okay, I've got to I've got to do it. And so yeah, I mean, I've still got a lot of work to do on it. But yeah, if you come here and you go to tech resources, you've got like all the different categories, and you go into the different categories here, and then I've got like all the resources, you know, within them and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's cool. Um, um, I, I love, I love the new Google sites. I don't know. I was just being a little bit of a hipster, keeping the old one alive for a while there. But uh, so yeah, it has been updated. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Good stuff. All right, um, what's up next? Next up is you can host Google Meets with up to 500 participants now. Um, so wow. I don't know what the limit was before, but. 200 or 250. Okay. Yeah. And so now you can have double that with 500 and those bigger meetings, maybe you have like a district wide, because I know when we try to do like a district wide meeting, well, we have 800 staff meetings. So we had to buy like zoom or something for that case, ah, um, but they're okay. getting there with the 500 or split the groups into two different cohorts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so now you can have those 500 meetings. You probably don't need this for a classroom size, hopefully. <laughs> um, but again, if you have to have like a parent meeting or something where a larger group, just know that that is available. All right. Yeah, I, I can't imagine having 500 people in a meet and try the chat. The Oh, my gosh, that would yeah. just be, <laughs> be amazing. I think, too, it's only available for... Um, because I do want to mention that the enterprise yeah. plus, so you know, if you are on the workspace right. essentials. Be careful, because I always forget to look at that. I need um, to do a better did. job yeah. about, and I, I, I promise I will do better about that. I will start putting in a little icon or something on these to differentiate that. I apologize. I did not do that. Uh, so yeah, this is for your education plus, you know, what we used to call enterprise um, for that. All right. Uh, let's see what's up next. Heading to December. Yeah. All right. Uh, Google Docs adds new table features, including sorting, pinning header row, easier adding and removing of rows and columns, new property sidebar, and more. Um, so not all of these features have seemed to have rolled out yet. So like, I think I've got, here's a document over here. I went ahead and put one together just to demonstrate with this. Um, so like, here's a table uh, in, in Google Docs. I just copied and pasted this off of a website that had, you know, states, capitals, and populations just, you know, so I had something in here. Um, so some of the benefits, some of the things, the new changes here um, include being able to sort. And, and that's, that's great. We've never had that before in the past. The only way I could do sorting is I'd gone to the add-ons and there was a, a, an add-on called Doc Tools and Doc Tools would do sorting. So you could select in a sort descending and ascending. So it was a fantastic add-on that solved that problem. Well, Doc Tools, you know, that, I mean, there's other things it does, but chances are probably going to retire that now. That's probably not one that I'll end up needing anymore because now if you hover above one of the um, columns, 
you'll see there is a little sort button here that I can say sort ascending or descending. Now, before you sort though, you wanna make sure that you've made this be a header row here. Um, and at the moment, that's one of the things that isn't showing up as a pop-up. They, they make it look like in here that you're going to end up getting, um, if I can show this better here, yeah, like th they're showing off to the side an option to pin and unpin a header row there. Um, that has not come through for me yet, that, that little pop-up thing over on the side. But if I right-click on the table and if I go to table properties, I do get this um, new table properties panel on the side. And if you look under the row section, there is a header row option there to pin a header row. You can pick how many rows you want. So at the moment, I have to do it manually over here and say, I want to pin my header row. But once I've done that, if I come here and say, oh, let's sort by capital ascending, it will sort but leave the header row alone and sort the things below it. So I think this is still, it's kind of rolled out, but not entirely. Like we got the side panel here, we got the sorting. We also have easy drag and drop. If you take your mouse and you hover it above, you'll see the little six dots. You can click drag and you can just like move a whole column around. But I'm not getting the pop-up to move the rows around, which we're supposed to be able to do as well. So there's still something rolling out here. Just be aware it's not quite, and also like here, the little plus button to insert a column to the right or left. There's supposed to be a floating one to insert rows above and below too. And uh, I mean, you can always just right click. <laughs> you can always just right click. You've always been able to do that. I mean, it's not like we couldn't do it before. Just right click and insert above or below. The point is we're starting to get friendly little hoverable, you know, features for that as well. The only really new feature is the sorting and the pinning of the header row. Everything else we've been able to do, just we had to do it through like a right click menu. So heads up about about that with uh, the tables in docs. Yeah, I feel like they're trying to bring spreadsheets over. You know, I think I we're trying to, I think you're right, Stephanie. I think I think it's more of integration. That's the idea mm -hmm. is a, yeah. a deeper, cleaner integration where, you know, you can, I know we can like put um, a chart or something from a spreadsheet into a doc, but I think you're right. Like being able to build something in a document that more accurately represents what you can do in, in a spreadsheet. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. All right. Next up is breakout rooms. Um, so I know a lot of schools had to go back virtual. We're still in person, um, but with the rising numbers and sub shortages, you might be back um, and you might notice some new changes to Google Meet if that's what you're using. Um, these updates were needed um, probably way sooner than when they actually came out. But now you're able to close a breakout room and it will bring everybody back to the main room. Um, I also like that it will have like a countdown. So for those students and they're having a really good discussion, they can go, oh, I have 30 seconds to kind of close this out, have some closure with the conversation and um, move on. So again, students will be back and you're able to close those rooms. Also a feature rolled out, um, I think it was this summer, right before school started with co-hosts. So now you can have co-hosts in a Google Meet. And so those co-hosts can also 
close that breakout room too if they need to. So that is a nice feature if you're like in a breakout room with another group and that co-teacher needs to do something or needs to close the room while you're doing something else, they have that ability. So just a nice feature to kind of have that um, feature in there. And I, again, love that countdown to help students know, okay, I've got 30 seconds to wrap this up. Yeah, that's great because... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it used to be, yeah, you could close the breakout rooms, but they could just stay, right? They could just, mm -hmm. they could just not come back. Yep. They could just <laughs> not click the button and they would just be in this void out there. Um, the breakout room was kind of closed, but they just wouldn't come back to the main room. And so now they have no choice. It forces them back. It makes a lot of sense. Something you should have had from the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of these features we needed um, at the start yeah. of COVID, but now they're there. Well, hey, we're glad that they are here now. Awesome. Uh, let's see, not much left here. A couple more things. Um, and again, if there's something we skip over, if it's if we didn't bold one of these, you're like, hey, hold on, guys, this looks important to us. Please let us know. Put it in the chat. Put something in the doc. These are just the ones that we thought were uh, most valuable to chat about in the time that we have today. So the next one that I've got bolded here is live translated captions in Google Meet are now generally available. So this is something you may say, haven't we been able to do this for a long time? And the short answer is yes, uh, we've been able to do it, but it was a workaround. And so I do have a link to the workaround that um, we've done in the past for this. And it's still probably important that this workaround exists because Again, my bad, sorry, I didn't indicate this. This is just for people with like the paid version of Google, the live translated captions. I believe, I'll make sure I'm not lying to you here. I'm pretty sure this is available for yeah, teaching and learning and uh, plus not available for um, education fundamentals. So yeah, so, so, but here's the idea and then we can kind of explain the workaround if, if we want to do that as well. But the idea behind this is when you're in a Google Meet now, um, you can, with the captions, you can have the captions translated. So we've had captions forever. We've always had that. You hit, hit the CC button and you get the captions. Well, now you can go into the settings and you can say, I want my captions translated. And you can say translated into French, translated into German, Spanish, Portuguese. Um, and it will translate those captions for you live. So that's wonderful. I mean, I, I think nobody's going to argue about that. That is great that if, if you're speaking with somebody and you are not, if you both, both do not have the same first language, maybe you have, you know, some knowledge of their language, but you're not both speaking your own first language, being able to, you know, hear that person talking in their language, but seeing it translated into yours really gives that extra support to help you bridge that gap. Now, for what it's worth, I tried it out and it looks like it's still kind of rolling out. So like, I'm going to open up a Google Meet here real quick and just kind of show you the idea here. So let's just start an instant meeting. So there, there I am. Well, 
I may not show up because my camera is being used already. So that's okay. Um, we'll just, you know, that's, that's fine. Uh, but so he, he, here I am in my meet. And if I come down and turn on closed captioning as I'm speaking, obviously everything will start showing up down there. Um, it's going to close caption all the words that I'm saying. Well, if I go to my little uh, three dots button and go into my captions uh, options, notice I can change the, uh, the language here. I can say French, German, Spanish, and so forth. Now, I did that earlier today. And when I applied it, it did not seem to work for me. So I'm either doing something wrong or it's still rolling out. But this is what happened when I did it. I just got a, a blank caption area here until I went back in and put it back on English. So I apologize if I'm missing something there, but it just it looked to me like it hasn't quite rolled out. So while that's still maybe rolling out, but for those people who say, well, shoot, we don't have the paid version. Well, remember, you don't have to. I do have a link here to a blog post I did way back, um, looks like January of 21, so a year ago. Um, and this is how anybody can do this simply by taking your mouse and just right-clicking anywhere inside of Google Meet and from that right-click pop-up menu, this is not a Google Meet thing. This is a Chrome thing. So this is not something that's part of Google Meet. It's a Chrome feature that just happens to apply to Google Meet. If you right-click on the Meet, you can choose the translate option. It's going to say translate to English. Don't worry. We, we, we can change that. But the point is, in the right-click, you're going to choose translate. And when you do, it's going to pop up this little translate icon at the top where you can say, what language do you want to translate things into? Well, I can click the little three dots, say, choose another language. And now instead of saying translate into English, I could choose something like Spanish or French. Or, and you can notice there's way more languages than the small handful that was available there. But once I choose another language and hit translate, now as I'm speaking, it is going to start translating those. Give it a moment to it's going to, it has to listen to what I'm saying, and then it takes it as a glob, and it will translate that as a glob into something. And so it's working on doing that while I'm speaking. But what's cool is it translates everything. It even translates like the menus, and it translates the chat. It translates everything in the window for you. There is, like I said, a little delay there. It has to listen to what you're saying, and then it processes it and then translates it over. But it translates the chat. It translates the menus. It translates the closed captions. And then at any point, you can go back up, click on the little translate button again, and I could say, okay, let's choose another language, maybe take it back to English, for example. And now everything will be back in English at that point. So anyway, just be aware that is uh, something you still can do, even if um, you don't have the uh, paid version. But for those that do have the paid version, looks like we are in the midst of a rollout with uh, built-in translated captions. All right. Well, I think we're to our last update yeah. before we move on to show and tell. So what do we have here, Stephanie? And the last one's always a fun one. The doodle for Google uh, is back again this year. So if you want to share this with your students, they have to be in grades K through 12. 
Um, but it's a time for them to create a doodle that will go on like the Google search page. So you can kind of see some of the examples down below. Um, for this year, the topic is I care for myself by, and then students will fill in that blank. Um, so you can again, see some of those designs at the bottom of this page. And um, students, again, will answer that prompt. There's uh, judging by different like grade bands is how they kind of run it. And there are some fun yeah. judges this year. So yeah, um, Who are the, yeah I thought I saw that too. Yep, yeah. there you go. Yep, definitely check it out. Um, if you are interested, send it to your students. I know I've had a couple of students that try to apply for it and I love voting for these. I think they're just so much fun to see the kids' creativity come about. And I thought this year's topic was just interesting that focused on self-care because uh, I really struggle with this. Um, so just being able to remind ourselves to take a break, slow down um, and, and spend some time with self-care. Absolutely. So important. And I think we have until March 4th. So good amount of time for people to do that. Um, and the grade bands, there are five. So five different grade bands. So students will be competing with other students who are a very similar age to them. And don't forget when you go to the site under educator resources, they do have some nice videos that are taken from applied digital skills. Um, that you can use to get students going on this doodle uh, contest with uh, some helpful step-by-step -step guidance to get them going. Good stuff. All right, well, hey, that's our updates. We're going to now shift gears over into show and tell. Uh, the idea behind show and tell is what's some cool stuff that we've come across? So it's you know something that's not an update, not just like, you know, oh, Google's released a new thing. But uh, a project we've done, an extension we found, a blog post, uh, any anything that we would like to to share. Um, um, and so I've got some in here. Uh, Stephanie does as well. You guys, if you want to, again, encourage you, please feel free to. At the bottom of Show and Tell, there's a spot that says GEG Community Show and Tell. You can put stuff in there if you've got something you'd like to share. Please, please don't be shy. Uh, if you wrote a blog post, if you did a training video, if you've just found something cool put it in there, share it. Um, everybody would cert will certainly appreciate and benefit from that. Um, so um, Stephanie, um, do you want to go ahead and, and go first? Um, if so, I'm, I'm happy to turn over the screen share to you and uh, you can uh, share your show and tell stuff. Yeah, I can go ahead and do that. Well, um, that's kind of setting up. Do you know how accurate, I think it is for the closed caption. There was a question from Nicole in the chat. I think she's talking about the closed caption. Do you think it's pretty accurate with the English version since um, sure. we just had the blank version for the others? Yeah. So my, my answer is I think it is extremely accurate, but I have to qualify that because sure, there's going to be, um, there's going to be factors that will affect it. So how quickly somebody speaks, how loudly they speak, are there other noises in the room? Do they have a decent microphone? Um, do they have a particular speech impediment? There's a lot of things that could affect that. Having said that, it is remarkable how far Google's artificial intelligence has come. 
I'm going to say it was maybe three years ago, they had a blog post where they said they crossed the 95% mark of accuracy. And that was three years ago. And they said that 95% accuracy is often considered industry standard. Like, you know, that's that's how good many times we as humans here, because we miss things a lot. Um, so yeah, short answer is, I think the captioning is um, incredibly accurate. It's just going to depend upon a lot of environmental and situational things that could, you know, give it a harder time. Same thing is true with YouTube. If you upload a YouTube video and you use the closed captioning on YouTube, it's doing the same thing. It's using AI and wow, it's really good. <laughs> it has become so, so, so accurate. So yeah, I, I, I definitely stand behind what they've done. And it just gets better all the time. Mm -hmm. All right, Stephanie. Well, you go ahead and share some show and tell stuff while you're doing that. I'll take a look at the chat and let you know if anything comes okay. in through there. Sounds good. Um, so, I, yeah, I just kind of laid out some of my favorite things that I've been learning about the last couple of months or creating. Um, so this was an idea from Jen Page, who's um, very active on Twitter, and she had this idea of designing a coffee cup. So um, I kind of took her idea that she suggested and I took the coffee cup from slides or icon mania because she also slides mania makes icons. So if you haven't checked that out, you need to look at that. Um, but on here, you can just kind of see that students, whatever the topic is, would design this coffee cup. Um, and it could be about a social studies unit that they're learning about. It could be about um, the book that they're reading about anything. And they're able to kind of add different symbolism to their coffee cup. And then these are from Noun Project, the icons, and you could add more if there's a different topic. And then the kids would just kind of design again, change their color. Um, and then they have to explain their logo, what their icons mean and what they symbolize to um, the information. And so I try to provide students like sentence starters. I picked this blank color um, because, and then they're able to fill in those blanks. So again, they have to create, and then there is that next level to deepen their learning with that explanation. So just a fun idea if you are looking for something to review with your students. Um, this next one, I saw Tony Vincent shared. Um, he does this every year after, well, he did it last year when he was back in the classroom. Now that he's not, he reshared this idea that he did the 10-1-10. And I love this idea last year. And what students do is they have 10 seconds. So they have 10 seconds to draw whatever they can for 10 seconds. And then they have one minute to add additional details to it. And then they have 10 minutes. So down here, you can kind of see an example from Tony. Um, so here they're putting like a star on a tree. It's, it's pretty, you know, basic. It's, it's quick, quick draw. Then one minute, they have a little bit more detail. There's more ornaments. There's a speech bubble now. But now when you give the kids 10 minutes to draw something, there's a lot more detail. They're able to take their time and explain different things. Um, so again, just a fun idea that you could use in your classroom to show students, if you take your time, if you have students that are rushing through their work, maybe you do this activity with them to show, okay, this is what it looks like when you first do it. But now if you take your time, look at how much you're able to add to your responses. 
Um, and then I was working with um, our special education coach and she had a really good idea with this, but she changed it to 30 to 30. So students would have 30 seconds to maybe talk with a staff member um, about maybe a situation that might be bothering them. So they're talking about like a peer they might disagree with and they're, they're trying to work out a um, solution. So again, they have 30 seconds, then they're going to go to two minutes to get feedback on that approach. And they're going to think about how they could change their approach when they're dealing with the conflict. And then they get a whole 30 minutes to work with that staff member and think about a second way that they might um, deal with this conflict. So again, just some like behavior strategies, if you're looking for any, um, that was kind of her take on this fun strategy that you could use in the classroom. And again, it's, you could do 10, you could do 30, whatever you kind of want to do, or however much time you have available. Um, something else I've been working on is Genius Hour. Uh, so a lot of teachers are interested in this Genius Hour, which kind of came from Google, the 20% time, where students start to research and kind of go through the design thinking process of something that they're passionate about. Um, so I created this roadmap that, and this roadmap was like inspired by Amanda Sanderville. I love her designs. And so I kind of just took her idea and uh, adapted it for Genius Hours. So students would first complete um, all of these different slides that are hyperlinked. And they would start off with like, what are they passionate about? So figuring out what are students really passionate about? What gets them excited? Um, what do they want to make, create, or what are they even curious about? Once they have that, um, there's some brainstorming tips. So again, like using some of the things that I learned at the Google Innovator Academy, where you're doing a lot of those design sprints that are quick, they're fast, and you're just trying to get all of your ideas out there, even if they're really bad ideas. Um, so there's those no judgment type of ideas. So there's um, building on other ideas, all of that kind of stuff. So getting that safe place in the classroom. Um, I also worked with a teacher. She wanted to do like a March Madness bracket. So you could kind of pick and choose how you wanted to roll this out with your students. But they were going to type all their bad, good ideas here on these little um, colorful places. And then they would duplicate the one that won and put it on the bracket. So then you could kind of see, okay, based out of those two ideas, the yellow one won. And then based out of um, this one, that one won. And so you narrow it down. And once students finish that project, that teacher is gonna go to the next runner up color. And that's what the students will work on. Um, so just another idea, if you're looking for a way to get students to narrow down their project idea. Then students, um, go on and they get a teacher check. So here is the teacher check-in. So I try to build those in. This is a younger class in um, elementary. So they wanted more teacher checks and they kind of have to first look at the checklist before meeting with the teacher. So making sure that they did all of these different things on their checklist. If they did, then they are all set to meet with their teacher because it is kind of like a as you finish early type of activity or the teacher might be working with a different small group at that time. So um, we wanted the kids to kind of begin to have that ownership of their learning as well. Then after that, they kind of start to research. So what do they know? What do they want to know? Um, how are they going to find out this information? What further questions do they have? And then once they go through there, they're going to start to develop their action plan. So they're going to decide their timeline. When am I, when is this step going to be done? They're going to kind of look at the calendar and decide, okay, I want this to be done on this date. I want this to be done on this date. Um, all of this different kinds of questions and trying to figure out what resources they might need, any barriers that they might have. And then if they finish it, they get to put that X on their 
um, kind of their timeline or action plan. And then again, another teacher check. Again, there's a checklist. And then after that, there is um, a research. So students will have all these different facts. They're gonna have their citations. They can hyperlink any links that they might need, but this is where they begin to research about their topic um, and add in that evidence for their topic. And then another teacher check for the students. Once they get through that teacher check, they begin to um, create their, pro their product. What is their product gonna be? And sometimes it might be making an app. Sometimes it's writing that book. Sometimes it's making a um, brochure or Google slide. So again, students have a choice of how they're going to show their knowledge um, on this project. Once they do that, they're gonna again have another teacher check and then they get to um, present. So before they present, I took this model um, from Google Innovator. When we had to present your final project, you had to use the Pixar storyline. And so you had to say like, once upon a time there was, and then every day. And so students will fill this in so that they're ready to present their project. And then again, another teacher check. Once that teacher checks in and they are good, they're ready to present. And there is a rubric as well in there. So then they would start their next project if they were ready to go on. Um, so again, all of that resources are there for you. If you're interested in any of that, um, it's all there. And it's a just a nice outline for students to go through major resources or research. Um, this next one is digital tips and keyboard shortcuts. So I've been working a lot on like executive functioning skills and classroom management type of things right now. That's kind of like my focus. And um, this template came from Nadine. She's in Indiana. She is their GEG kind of lead for that state. And she is amazing. So she actually made this um, keyboard for the Chromebook. And so I just took her Chromebook because I loved it. And I was trying to explain to kids, like you have to hit these two buttons, especially like students in probably third grade down. And they're like, what? Like they didn't understand what I was telling them. And so I was having really difficult time. So I just pulled her screenshot and then I just added these shape tools that are red. And it started to help a lot of students quickly see how to do different things on their computer. So I would just project this up on the board and then I told the students you hold both at the same time and they were able to do these different things. Um, so if you have any tips, feel free to add to this slide deck and just duplicate the slide, add your tip, you can kind of see here. Um, and you're able to kind of help with these different tech tips with students that they might need. Um, but again, that was a struggle for me when I was trying to teach kids how to do different things like control copy, teaching them what to hit. They're like, where's the control C? Uh, where's the control key and all these different things So teaching them how to do that and showing them really helped that barrier that I was having in the classroom. Um, and then I just kind of let teachers know, like, how, how does this tip really help? So for example, this control a one, well, it helps you be more, um, or not that one, control or alt in the bracket, this one um, lets you split your screen. So students can have a timer up and they can be on a digital program at the same time. So that was really helpful for a lot of our students. Uh, this next one's just kind of a fun share. Um, storyboard or story dice are really fun. And so there is a website right here. And if you go to this website, you can scroll down just a little bit. And there are dice on here that you can actually roll. So you've got five or nine and you can roll again. And then I just took a screenshot of this page and I just added it to this Google slide. You can kind of see right here. 
And then my students have to make a story or connections out of um, all of these dice. We did this yesterday, it was a lot of fun. Students were reviewing kinetic and potential energy. And so this light ball, how does that show kinetic and potential energy? How to, or what type of energy does it show? Um, the chair, how, how does that gonna show kinetic and potential? So they had to explain those different types of en energy um, using those little boxes. And the kids had a lot of fun. So again, this website, they have five, and then he also has nine, and then you just roll again. And then I just took a screenshot, but you could have your kids go to this site. Um, I think there was like a beer um, icon, so just be care aware of that as well. But again, could be just fun to have some conversations in your classroom with your students. And then this one right here, um, Jen Giffen, who we love and adore, um, she posted a choice board for a snow day. Well, in Ohio, we've been having some uh, snow. So I am hoping that we get a snow day very, very soon. And I know some people already got that snow day. Um, but here is just a fun choice board for virtual day. So if you do have a virtual day, maybe students can play a board game or they can go play an instrument or they can paint their nails or they can do um, build a tower. So again, students would take this and then they would move these over onto the board as they complete it. So here was the one that Jen shared, um, her son had to do this. And then this was just the one that I kind of took from her image and recreated. Um, so I thought it would be fun for a virtual day if you're looking for something like that. And then here are just, um, I try to send this out weekly. So feel free to um, sign up for the Google group if you are interested. And this just has a bunch of different ideas or different things that I'm creating with my teachers or I found on Twitter. So um, I just wanted to share some of my top ones, but if you are interested in more, there is more available. All right. That's fantastic. I always love everything you share and and also the people that oh, you, you. Uh, the people that you got resources from. I agree with you too. Um, Jen's fantastic. Nadine's fantastic. Such yeah. that's what's so <laughs> awesome. It's just the the community of educators that we have who who share so freely. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Well, awesome. Thank you so, yeah. so much for sharing that. Uh, I yeah. saw a lot of love for that coming up in the chat while you were sharing those things. Um, <laughs> let me go ahead and I will share my screen again now and run through some show and tell things here. And again, remind, uh, remind you guys, if you've got things to share, please throw them in under, under community show and tell. It looks like somebody had added one to the bottom of mine and I went ahead and I just moved it down there. So it's it's under community show and tell now. That was, thank you, whoever that was who had put that in there. Um, so, hey, let's take a look at a couple of things um, that uh, I've either created or come across in the last month or so. Uh, so the first uh, couple of bullets here are things from my Control-Alt-Achieve site. Um, not everything that I've put on there in the last month or so, but a few of them that I wanted to highlight. So one of them was um, just some real simple quick tricks about maximizing space in Google Slides. 
Um, and so this blog post here has a short little video that explains it, but then I also have the written directions and animated GIFs to take you through the whole process as well. But just to make it real simple, I think I do have this opened up already over here on the screen. Here we go. The idea is, you know, if a student is wanting to do a um, drag and drop activity, like, you know, like the build a snowman or any of those kind of ones, in this case, here's a drag and drop one where we're taking images and we're trying to put them into the correct uh, boxes for long or short, you know, vowel sounds. Well, this looks pretty good on my screen right now, but I've got a pretty high resolution monitor. It's it's not uncommon for a student to be on a Chromebook that has a much smaller resolution and you end up not having a lot of room. But by the time you pull something up, you lose a lot of space because of the toolbars and the film strip down on the side and the speaker notes at the bottom. And this can become like a little postage stamp size with what you're actually working on. Um, or if you're putting it up on the board and you're trying to do this as, an, as a full class activity. So real quick, just so people are aware, you can really maximize this workable space pretty easily. Now, I'm obviously I'm not talking about presenting it as a slideshow. Yes, certainly that would make it fill the whole screen. But the problem is I can't use it then. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't drag things around when it's in presentation mode. I need to leave it in edit mode or I can't move things around. So the tricks are to get rid of the speaker notes, the film strip, and all of the toolbars up here. So pretty straightforward, pretty easy to do. Um, if we go, for example, to the view menu, you'll see we now have options to show the speaker notes or not, and to show the film strip or not. So from the view menu, I can say, let's uncheck speaker notes. Well, once I do that, the speaker notes are gone from the bottom. Then if I go back to the view menu and I say, let's not show the film strip, then that disappears off the side. Well, that's great. Now, if I want to get rid of the menus at the top, it depends on how much I want to get rid of. There is a little... Um, up arrow here to hide the menus. If I click that, it hides them, but still gives me at least the toolbar. The toolbar is still there. Just my file menu goes away and I can always hit the little down arrow to bring it back. Or if I want to, I can come here and I can say I want to view uh, full screen and that will get rid of all of the toolbars and the menus at the top. And it's the escape key will bring me back. So now I can start doing this activity with all the space in the world <laughs> that, that I need. I don't have anything else, you know, it's all editable and it's, you know, I, I've, I've made the most use of the space. Now, again, I can hit escape to bring those back. I can use my view menu or I can use the little button over here to bring the film strip back. And I can even just drag and pull up my speaker notes as well. All of those work, but the idea being, it gives us a lot more space to be able to work when we're doing drag and drop activities in Google Slides. So wanted to let people know about that if you were not aware of it. Uh, next up, I know Christmas is over now, but uh, next year, maybe put this one on your radar, but if nothing else, maybe get inspired by this particular uh, activity. I tried something new. I tried to use a Google Sheet to make what I was calling a guided math activity. And so, yeah, the theme was the 12 days of Christmas. So again, might not be something you would use right now, but you could use again uh, later. But here's what it looks like. It's a, uh, it's a spreadsheet. 
And the way I've I've set up this spreadsheet is what I'm calling a, a guided learning activity. Um, I'll make it a little bit bigger so you guys can see it a little bit better there. Uh, the idea is you got this tab with directions and then a tab, which is the data tab, where you're actually going to basically be putting in how many presents you got each day of the 12 days of Christmas. And, and they're figuring out how to use formulas and how to add things up, how to create charts and graphs, how to make predictions from data. It's covering lots of great math and technology skills. But what happens is as you work down through the directions, what I've done is I've broken into different parts where directions are given. And then if you need help on these things, I used checkboxes to allow the, the student to get as much or as little help as they want. So as you're working down through this, you know, you'll be given a question, well, how can you calculate the totals for each type of present? And there's a spot there for them to type in their answer. Well, if they're stuck, if they've tried this and they're not really sure if they check the box to get help, it'll reveal, well, what you could do is use the sum function and here's a link to learn more about it. Well, if that's still not enough, they could click here for the answer and they'll get an acceptable answer. Here, here is how you could do that. In this particular case, this is the formula that would work for that. And so the idea is they're gonna be filling in their answers in blue as they work through all of these different uh, uh, challenges. And I think there's like, I don't remember now how many, like 12 different challenges here that they're working through as they are creating their 12 days of Christmas data and then creating charts and graphs off of it and drawing conclusions. But every step along the way, they can get help and they can also get an answer to it. Um, so just trying something new there as a, a guided learning activity. Um, maybe we'll apply this to other sort of projects in the future. All right, let's keep on going. Uh, other things I would mention, um, yeah, it is still winter. Uh, so if you do, um, want to squeeze in some more wintertime activities. I did update my annual blog post about wintertime activities. Yes, yeah, some of them were maybe, you know, a little bit more holiday themed, but others you could do whenever, like build a snowman. That one's always still a blast, you know. Um, drag and drop magnetic poetry that's winter themed. Uh, greeting cards. Uh, there's the 12 days of Christmas one. Um, uh, wintertime emoji rebus stories. So these do not have to be specifically, you know, for the holiday. Uh, we can still enjoy them just as wintertime activities. And yes, we definitely have gotten some snow here. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, we, we maybe got to build some actual physical snowmen here recently, but if not, we have the digital one always available. Uh, next up, I did a blog post here just recently on um, the new checklist feature in Google Docs, but a little twist on it. So here, let me show you real quick what I mean by this. Uh, I'm sure you guys know you're familiar with the checklist feature, um, but I'll just show you real quick what I'm talking about here. So let's say I have, you know, a sample list of items and I'll just say item one, item two, and item three. We're, we're not going to do anything fancy here. We're going to keep this, whoops, if I could spell, that would help. Uh, we're going to keep this really, really, really basic here, really simple. Um, and I'll zoom in a little bit so you guys can see this a little bit better. So um, 
the checklist feature, it's been out for quite a while now. This is not like a new thing. We, we've had it. I mean, I don't know, sometime in the last year this rolled out. The idea that if you have a list of items and you highlight them, instead of using the bulleting or the numbering, you can click on the checklist button instead. And it puts little happy checkboxes in front of it. And you literally can check things off. You can say, hey, I got that done. And when you check the box, it crosses the item off. Now that's great, that's fantastic except for when it's not, <laughs> because sometimes people are like, well, I want a checklist, but I don't want to cross the items off. And that's what happened this week or last week. I got a call from one of my colleagues saying, well, we want to use this, but what we want to do is be able to check the boxes, but still be able to read the items because we're sharing this maybe like with, with a parent, like, you know, here's your student's information. Here's the things they've accomplished. We didn't want it to, to cross out the actual text. And I thought, well, I'm sure we can just fix that, right? I'm sure you can just come in here and highlight the text and go up to format and go up to text and, you know, click on strike through to undo it. No, <laughs> you can't. There's, and, and if somebody know, if somebody found a way to do it, please let me know because I couldn't find a way to just turn it off. Like, wow, that's weird. It, if you check the box, it really does strike through that and you just can't not. So what I ended up having them do was create a table instead. And I showed them how to do that. That what you can do is just go to insert table and insert a two column table with as many rows as you need and put your items, you know, in, oops, put your items over here, of course, in this column. So we've got item one, item two, and item three over here. And then in this column, just select all the cells in the column and go ahead and click on that checkbox button and put the checkboxes in that column. Now, because you've done it in two columns of a table, they're not connected now. If I check the box, it doesn't understand that the text next to it is supposed to be attached to it. So now all I have to do is clean things up. I can move the dividing bar over, and then I can right click to go into the table properties. And in the table properties, I can adjust the color because in the color, it has the table border. I can say instead of a one point table, I want a zero point table borderline, and then it gets rid of the borderline there. And so now I wind up with a checklist that I can check that doesn't actually cross off those. So I'm sure Google's going to realize that's an issue and they'll just fix it. <laughs> you know, that they'll just have an op, there'll be a drop down here where you can turn off the strike through, which then this workaround won't be necessary. But for now, if it helps, awesome. You know, uh, that's something that you can uh, you can do to get around this for now. So, all right. Uh, anything else to share? I, um, I did a quick little video on speech to text tools. Check that out if if that looks interesting to you. It's the um, the the uh, normal speech to text tools that uh, we like to encourage people to use, like Docs voice typing, um, voice in voice typing, and the Chromebook dictation tool. So if students um, have wonderful, amazing ideas in their head, but they're having a hard time typing. They're not the best typist. They're not the best speller or they injured their hand or a million other reasons. We don't want students to take their fantastic thoughts and cut them short. We want them to get their words onto the page. And so this uh, video and these directions go through using docs voice typing, voice in voice typing, and the dictation tool on Chromebooks to help students speak and get their words written up for them. Uh, in their in their work. So 
Uh, and then I think the last thing I had uh, that I had pulled out to share was um, a webinar I had done recently um, on Google Sheets activities for all subjects. So this is a webinar that I recorded uh, for a training and uh, just made it available here for everybody. Uh, it's a one hour webinar. And the focus of it is using Google Sheets for student activities. So things that students can do with Google Sheets as learning activities. Uh, and I end up covering quite, quite a number of things in there, you know, analyzing data, learning databases, educational games, random generator activities, art activities, task checklists, conditional formatting feedback, and more. So there's a, a, an agenda here that has all of the resources in there that you can follow along with. It's um, looks like about a six page long agenda here. All the templates, all the links, everything's in there for you to try out all these activities, but then the video will uh, walk you through them step by step. So, all right. So those are some of the things that I had put on control all achieve recently. Let me clean up my, um, my tabs here. Now I got so many things uh, open here. Um, beyond things I put on my site, um, some things that got my attention. I won't go through all of these, but a few things that just, I, wow, that's really cool. Uh, or this is important. <laughs> One was uh, Moat. I love Moat. Moat is a fantastic extension that allows you to record your voice and insert your voice into Google Documents and slides and forms. And it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Somewhat Sad news, but uh, there has been a change to the free version of Moat. And I, I don't blame them. I, they, they've got to pay the bills. I totally get it. They made an amazing product and they've got to pay the bills. Just be aware if you are using the free version of Moat, it is now limited. It used to be unlimited recordings, the only limit being 30 seconds long each. It is now 20 recordings per month. That's a significant reduction. You know, it, 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 it's not inconsequential. It does make a difference. But, but I get it, too, because what they had before was so generous, a person could rightfully say, well, I don't need to pay for Moat. I can just do 30 second recordings forever. I'm okay. So yeah, I, I do understand why they made that change. So it's still valuable. It's still viable. You just have to be a little bit more judicious with what recordings you use, uh, you, you know, because you're only going to make 20 of them a month if you're using the free version, or of course, take a look at the paid version, which is still incredibly reasonable. Um, but didn't want anybody to be caught off guard by that. If you're just going along using it and suddenly you're like, why isn't it working? Heads up. Uh, that did take effect at the start of the year here. Um, other things I'm going to mention, um, SketchUp for schools. This is a tool that has been around for a long time. It started off as a Google product. It's a 3D modeling tool. But it has changed hands so many times. It's gone from, you know, one company to another, to another, to another. Um, if you've ever used it in the past, or even if you haven't, and you're just, you know, finding out about it right now, I just wanted to let you know, here's the latest update. Uh, SketchUp for Schools is now uh, completely free for schools to use if they are a Google Workspace for Education school. Um, so there used to be all these different hoops you had to jump through, ways you had to do to get it. SketchUp for schools is, it's free. 
Uh, as long as you've got a G Suite for education domain, there's directions here on how to get your school approved and how to get your students in and using it. Uh, so it's a great, you know, if you use like Tinkercad or things like that, same kind of idea, AutoCAD, it's that sort of a tool. Um, and they've got loads of great curriculum and videos uh, to help support uh, your use of that. So um, be aware, that is just sitting right out there for you. Fantastic tool for folks to use. Um, next up, a whole bunch of templates um, and the math, math templates. I got on a math tear <laughs> here recently and just found a bunch of websites that were sharing some awesome free math templates and just wanted them to get them on your radar. What By templates, I mean Google Slides templates, Jamboard templates, that, that type of templates. So, um, and I'm sure there's more than just this list. These are just three that I came across that I had not been aware of to add to the you know, multitude of other great template sites out there. Uh, KCM Virtual Math Activities, large collection of slides and Jamboard templates that cover loads of math concepts. This is from Kentucky. And if you come in here, you can pick, you know, whatever the topic is that you're interested in. And then once you've chosen the topic, they'll have slides and or Jamboard uh, templates for all of these different math topics. Fantastic. Um, and then Teresa Wills, has always shared very generously, loads of great uh, templates. She has a lot of just, you know, general templates here, but she does have a math section in here as well. So there's some math ones just scattered in throughout here as well. Um, but if you go down through, you'll see it just a little bit further down, about uh, maybe halfway down the page, that's where you hit like the manipulative section where she's got loads and loads and loads of math activities and math manipulatives and math games. And these, again, they're all Google Slides, free to make a copy and use these templates. And then lastly, if you're not familiar with Open Middle, Open Middle is a really neat way to do math problems where it looks like a pretty simple problem, but there's a lot of different ways that you could approach solving it. And so it allows for a lot of lateral thinking and creative thinking. Um, Open Middle has been around for a long time. They have now made Google Slides versions of pretty much all their Open Middle uh, projects. So if I came in here and picked just fifth grade as an example, uh, this will make a copy of the entire fifth grade Open Middle collection. And what you'll see is they all follow a very similar format where there's some sort of a problem problem you're trying to solve and then resources you can draw from to drag up and put into it. And so um, each one of these has all the pieces you need. And uh, you can just, again, click, drag and move things around to start putting them up in here to either, you know, create something that has the largest product or whatever the case might be. And there's tons of these. They're really, really great for getting students to think critically. Um, and again, all free, just sitting out there waiting for yeah, so I was really excited to find all of these great uh, uh, templates that were available. And then the last thing I'm going to share from my stuff was um, got some information about a uh, new add-on called Mergo Merjo. It's for mail merge, so probably Merjo. I'm going to say, yeah, probably like Merge 
Merjo, not Mergo, uh, probably. Uh, it'll be one of those things we always, you know, get confused about. Is it a Quatio? Is it, you know, something else? Is it GIF? Is it GIF? Um, we'll say Merjo. <laughs> but this is an add-on. It's a mail merge add-on. Um, that's the same guy who made yet another mail merge, which is a mail merge tool I have used forever. I love it to death. It's fantastic. Well, he's now started a new company and this is one of his first new products. And normally I wouldn't make a big deal about this. I'd be like, well, hey, okay, you know, it's, it's another add-on. If you want to use it, that's great. Well, here's the reason I'm mentioning it. Um, these type of tools typically cost some sort of money. And I don't pay for a lot of tools. You know, I try to do free things, but like I do pay for yet another mail merge. I pay a yearly fee because I want to be able to use it to its full capacity, uh, which I think lets me send like 1500 emails in a merge, which is great. I need to be able to do that for the conference and things like that. So I do pay for yet another mail merge because I think it's a valuable enough tool. Well, the same thing's true with Mer Merjo. It would cost as well, but here's the thing. Until January 31st, they are letting EDU domains sign up for free for life. Like no gotchas, no catches. Like it's just free. Like you can do this. And so I did. I went in and I signed up my, my Stark County ESC EDU domain. And now every single employee can forever and ever, amen, we can use Merjo for free. Uh, we can use the, the premium version of it, but it's only through January 31st to sign up. And then after that, you're good to go. So, hey, jump on this, get get your admin. It's somebody who has to be an administrator. So talk to your tech admin because they have to be able to do this at, at, on an admin level. Get them to go here and fill out the form and get it set up and boom, and you're, you're good to go. Because trust me, having a really nice mail merge tool like this, it's it's really important. You know, everybody, I use Autocrat and I use yet another mail merge. Those are the two I use. Well, now I'm going to use Merjo and I very likely will stop using yet another mail merge and not have to pay for it anymore. Uh, this will take the place of that. So just didn't want anybody to miss out on that. Um, so yeah, yeah. And, and correct me, Nicole, it is from... Uh, um, I always pronounce his name wrong. It's it looks like Roman Romain Villard. Uh, he's a great guy. Uh, he developed yet another yet another mail merge. Uh, he's uh, started a new company now, and this is one of the first products out of that. So good stuff. Um, and then let's see. Like uh, somebody did add a few things in under the show and tell. Um, one was that text helps orbit note. Uh, that is their PDF um, tool, kind of like Cami, uh, that that sort of doc hub Cami um, text helps version is called orbit note. Um, says here that they just added today the ability to convert a PDF to a readable PDF. I didn't see that. I will have to check that out. That will be great to investigate. Thanks for sharing that. And then I see we've got a uh, link here to little known Chrome OS features. Um, this is a blog post from About Chromebooks. This is a great blog. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this particular blog. Uh, I know I've mentioned in the past, I use Feedly to pull in my RSS feeds from all the blogs that I read. And About Chromebooks is one of my favorites in there. Uh, he does a fantastic job sharing all sorts of great news and information about Chromebooks, Chrome OS, Google in general. So uh, I'm sure this is a great 
article. I don't think I've read this one, but uh, favorite hidden Chrome OS features you're probably not using. So, um, oh, well, no, actually I might have seen this one because it talks about like reader mode. Um, I did include some information about reader mode further up. I just skipped over it, but uh, how to enable reader mode in Chrome. Uh, and actually, nope, it is. <laughs> it's the same link. I did read this article. Yep, there you go. <laughs> so I do have that in my section there, uh, how to enable reader mode. Uh, it's basically a way in Chrome OS, you can turn on reader mode, which will clean up the page and, uh, you know, remove distracting elements and things like that. Well, my goodness, let's take a little breather there. We still have Q&A to go, but I'm going to see, uh, turn this back over to Stephanie for just a second. Uh, Stephanie, while I was blabbering along there, did anything come up in the chat? Have you seen any other questions uh, or comments before we move over to Q&A? Um, they were just saying that the crossouts when you were talking about the checklist, uh -huh. how they were driving them crazy. And so they're thankful that they learned how to turn them off. <laughs> um yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know what else did we see and then more about that extension margo comes from the developer of is it yam yeah y -A -M -M. yet yet another mail yep. merge yep. yeah um is margo active on account do you think this confuses users um as it will be available to everyone do you have thoughts on putting limits on how many mass emails you should be able to send well, basically what's going to happen if you install it, it's going to show up um, over on your toolbar. So like if I opened up a Google Sheet, um, it'll be over here on the right-hand side, actually. It's kind of odd. It's 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 where they're putting um, add-ons, the, the new version of add-ons. So over here on the right, you can see I've got Form Publisher, I've got Mergeo, and I've got Save As Doc over here. So there it is over on the side. Um, and so basically, it just is going to show up over there so people will be able to see it. But if they don't want to use it, they can just ignore it. It's just another icon on the far right-hand side. Uh, the limit um, is... The limit's not really based on Merjo. It's based on what your version of Google allows you to send. And so for Google Workspace for education, um, I think it's limited like 1500 emails a day, you know, and that's, that's what you're allowed to send. And so that's what Merjo can send for you. Uh, same with like autocrat and things like that. If you've got like a personal Gmail account, I think you're limited to like 500 a day or something. And that's, that's from Google. That's Google putting those restrictions on there. Um, I use this though, because, you know, if we have, you know, a webinar and we want people to get a certificate, you know, afterwards, you know, that, that's a use for a mail merge. Or if we got our conference coming up and I need to send something out to, you know, a bunch of people, that's great, you know, for a mail merge. Um, we usually have these things running in the background for a lot of automated tasks. Um, and then Sally said, it looks like you can limit which sub-organizations can use it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So just like any extensions, add-ons, from the Google Admin Console, yes, absolutely. You can go in and you can turn on, you can make things available to specific organizations or sub-organizations. Um, so yes, you would definitely have some control over, yeah, who's, who's able to use it if you didn't want to put it out there for everybody to have access to. Like maybe don't roll it out to your students or something like that. Yeah. 
Good stuff. Okay, I think that was it in the chat. Well, awesome. Well, let's, yeah, let's look at Q&A. Let's see what's here. And um, while we're looking at this, be aware, folks, this is the last section of our document. So if there's anything else that you've got questions on, um, this is a great place to put them. <laughs> you can drop them here in the Q&A. But if you, there's something else you needed to add, if you wanted to put something in the show and tell, or if you knew about another upcoming conference that we didn't know about, you, can, you could add that up here under the upcoming events. Uh, feel free to continue to throw things into the uh, YouTube chat as well. And uh, between Stephanie and I, we'll do our best to keep an eye out for things you might be sharing. Um, so the first question we got was about the mysterious Google Classroom activity dashboard that was promised last summer. So when Google had their um, uh, event, um, their Anywhere School event, they called it last like June or July, they mentioned all kinds of new features that were coming out this year. And one was the activity dashboard in Google Classroom. Um, and the question is, is this still coming? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I have heard nothing about that changing, you know, that, yes, as far as I know, it is still coming. I don't know why we haven't got it yet, um, but I've, there's been nothing at all that I've seen whatsoever that has indicated that Google has changed their mind on this to the point that, I mean, I know it already exists. Like, I mean, I've talked to people who have piloted it. I have not piloted it. I have not I did not do any beta access to it, but I've talked to people who have actually used it. So it, it is a real thing. It's not like vaporware. It's not something they're just thinking about. It actually does exist and people have beta tested it. Um, I just don't know why it hasn't rolled out yet. Um, but basically the idea behind it is it's just another tab in Google Classroom called activity. And it lets you see the last time a student was active and, you know, let you get some metrics to be able to see how engaged your students are in Google Classroom so you can identify at-risk students a little bit better. Having said that, it did not look like it was very robust. It seemed like a pretty simple tool from what I saw, from what everybody saw, pretty simple tool, kind of like sort by the last time a student was active. And, you know, that's about it. Not, not, not a whole lot more than that. So having said that, I did want to mention, if you haven't checked it out, please check out Schoolytics. Now, there's a paid version of it, but there's a free version that is phenomenal. <laughs> Schoolytics is a tool that works right alongside of Google Classroom. It is truly free for teachers. There's no gotchas. There's nothing hidden there. It really is free. And basically, you just sync it to your Google Classroom. And if you head out to the link I've got here, yeah, you can read through all their little you know, information. And that's fantastic. That's great. What I would encourage you to do is if you go to their site, the most important button to click on is the one called Demo at the top. So they've got a button at the top called Demo that will load a set of demo data and let you see what it would look like to use Schoolytics. Now, when you do click that demo button and it loads up the, the, the demo there, look in the top right-hand corner and notice it's gonna start you off as an administrator. You wanna choose teacher. That's the one they give away for free. The paid version includes administrator, parent, and student access. So this is like a parent portal for Google Classroom as well, which is really nice. That's a something that I know we've been looking for for a long time as well. But if you come up here and choose teacher instead, this is what you would see as a teacher. And it's, 
there's a ton of stuff here. I mean, you've got a great missing assignments report. You've got a disengaged students report where you can set a threshold on activity completion, under engaged students, student honor roll, those who have the uh, 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 amount of completion above a certain amount, assignments still to grade, flagged work. You can also just pull up a table of all of your students with all of those details on how much they've completed, how much time they've been on task, their trends. It's awesome. <laughs> Create distributions. It's amazing what, the, and this is just stuff they're pulling right from classroom, stuff that the API readily makes available. So it's a great way to be able to see, do you have some struggling students, especially if it's if you've gone remote and it's harder to you know connect with the students day in and day out. But this would be perfect for a face-to-face -to -face class too, just to be able to see this data a lot easier. So, um, that would be my answer to that is, yeah, we're gonna get the activity dashboard eventually, but you might just wanna use Schoolytics because it's pretty good. <laughs> and I think from what I've seen, that's about 10 times more powerful than what they promised in the activity dashboard. So who knows, maybe Google should just buy Schoolytics and make that become the activity dashboard. Sounds like a plan, but we'll see. All right, <laughs> let's keep on going. Uh, next up, um, the question was, hey, we're remote again. Uh, do you know if Google Meet will be updating host controls? So this question here was, they had a situation where um, if a teacher logs in first and then a sub has to take over, the sub can't use any of the activity functions, maybe the answer is they should be a co-host. And we talked a little bit back and forth about that. It sounds like it turned out it was being created, it was being run as, as a nicknamed meet, uh, that that's what was, that's how the meet was being set up. Um, and that makes a lot of sense because if you, if you run the meet out of classroom, anybody who's a co-teacher automatically becomes a co-host, automatically, no problem at all. If you run it out of a calendar event, only the person who created the event can be the host. If somebody joins ahead of time, you know, if they've got the right to join, they don't they don't take over the hosting things. It's still the, the owner of the event. But a nickname, yeah, that's its own unique animal. Nicknames don't nicknames aren't owned by anybody. Nobody owns a nickname. If you use nicknamed meets, the first person who opens it up owns it. I mean, that's just it. And the, and then when they close out of it, you know, a week from now, the next person who opens it up, they own it. A nickname is it's fair game. Anybody can grab those. So that's why you don't allow students to have, you know, that ability to, to start their own meets because they could start up a, a nickname meet. Um, but the idea is whoever opens up a nickname meet first, they'll get host controls. So if that happens, they just have to give co-host controls over to the other people as somebody mm -hmm. else joins. Just go in the panel on the right, open up the people panel, and next to the people that you need to, you can just uh, elevate them to be co-hosts, and then they'll have those abilities in there as well. Uh, but that would be one of the negatives of a nickname, Meet. I do understand that, yep. All right, um, next up, um, rubrics. When using rubrics in classroom, um, the student can't see their grade until the teacher returns it. However, once it's returned, they can resubmit their assignment. Is there a way to keep them from resubmitting? Now, unless somebody knows something that's coming up or changed, no, that's always been the way it is since the very first day of classroom. <clears throat> it's like a philosophical 
thing Google has. Students are always allowed to resubmit work. However, you don't have to regrade it. I mean, you can just hit return. You, you can return it exactly as it is and give them a note, say, nope, hey, I'm sorry, this one's past a certain date. We're not regrading this one. But nope, I am not aware unless somebody knows, please share. I'm not any, aware of any way to stop a student from doing that. And I think it's more of a, a philosophical view from Google that students should be allowed to resubmit work. Um, which I agree with too. I mean, philosophically, but I totally know, yes, they're, they're, it makes sense to have certain deadlines at, at a certain point. But yes, I think we should all view learning as a process, not something that, you know, you got one chance to do it. But, you know, you, know, you, you, you try again and again and again and improve each time. Uh, and then it looks like the last thing here, just some good resources, not a question, but um, says uh, in Croatia, we have webinars every Friday about Google tools. We're a small country. We have about 120 to 180 teachers per webinar. That's amazing. That is a great turnout for a webinar. That's fantastic. Here's some footage of the webinars. Thank you so much for putting those in there. And they've also got longer professional development for teachers with tasks. They're doing Winter Challenge 22. Uh, and there's a link to that. Sandra, thank you for sharing this. I'm going to check these out. First of all, that's just an inspiration. I, I love the model that you're doing there. Maybe that's something that can inspire other GEGs or other people to follow a model like this. But I'm really excited to see the stuff that you guys have been creating as well. So thank you so much for sharing that, Sandra. Yeah, thanks for sharing. That looks awesome. All right. Well, hey, let's do our wrap up now, I guess. As I'm looking through here, I am not seeing anything else that got added in. Um, so let me do a couple of things. Let me do a couple of like, you know, housekeeping things here. Stephanie, if you want to look through and see if we missed something, everybody else, if you got any last minute questions, comments, now's the time to throw them in. I'll do a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll come back and see if there's anything we still need to address. What I wanna remind you guys of, first of all, is if you didn't get a chance to sign in, please do that on page two of the document, highlighted in green underneath important links. You'll see a Google form to sign in that allows me to send you a certificate of attendance for the meeting. And it allows me to, to let Google know how many people attended our meeting. So always wanna get that back on your radar. And then I want to remind you to connect with us in between meetings so you don't have to wait another month for us all to chat. Join the uh, GEG Ohio Google group uh, and you can email the whole group uh, throughout the month in between. And it's a great way to ask questions and stay connected or join the Facebook group. And that's another wonderful way to stay connected in between. Um, our next meeting, I believe, is February 24th. If we go out to the GEG Ohio website here, let me uh, let me head out to bit.ly slash GEG Ohio and look at our monthly meetings. And I believe that sounds right, uh, but I don't want to misspeak here. Uh, February 24th. Yes. So at the moment, we've got it set as February 24th. I don't have the agenda link up for that yet. We'll generate that shortly and then start adding things to it and so forth. Um, but, um, you know, that you can get that on your your radar um, shortly, uh, but February 24th is our tentative date for our, our next um, our next meeting. Awesome. Okay, so Stephanie, did you see anything else that we needed to address? It looks like we got everything. Um, I was looking through the document one last time in the YouTube chat and everyone's just saying thank you. 
Um, so I think we're good to go. Awesome. Well, hey guys, thanks again so very much for being a part of our meeting today. Please feel free to share this with others. This, you know, is a recording once it's done. And so people can uh, go back through and catch the parts that are important to them. Stephanie turns it into a podcast as well for people that want to listen to this while they are, uh, you know, shoveling the snow or whatever they might be doing. And otherwise, I just want to say thank you again so very much for being here. We look forward to seeing you guys next month. Stay uh, in touch in between and take care everybody. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Have a good one.